discussing John now for a couple of months, and um, the 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 narrative. I hope you're catching what's going on with John. John is is a very carefully written book, and so John will introduce an idea and then seem to leave it alone and then cycle back to it with another narrative. And, and one of the reasons that John's gospel has so many um, stories, so many narratives of Jesus' life that aren't in the other gospels is because of the reason that he's writing and the way he's writing. And I, I want to remind you that as he's writing, he's really writing to kind of the second and third generation of people in the church, some of whom are believers and some of whom are not, some of whom think they're believers because they go to church. Um, it's like believing you're fit because you go to the gym. Um, you know, uh, the gym's mirrors should be more honest, I think, um, Sometimes I go to the gym and, I mean, I don't love going to the gym anyway. I mean, people that love going to the gym, there's something messed up in their heads. Um, but I go to the gym and I sometimes, I mean, I go to the gym, I wear a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and I try to kind of, you know, keep to myself. And then there are some people walking in around the gym with way more confidence than their fitness level communicates. Um, and in the in the church in the church, especially in this second generation that John is writing to, there were a lot of people who believed that they understood what it meant to be a Christian. They they believed they understood um, what it meant to be a follower of Christ because they had re- grown up in it. And so John, as he writes, he introduces these people that ask these amazing questions and pick up these amazing themes because he wants to provoke questions and conversation. John wants us talking about Jesus. It's not enough to sit in rows and listen to somebody else talk about Jesus. John wants us asking some good questions of what is in uh, the stories that he tells. And so John chapter 4 is one of those stories that if you grew up in church, you heard all the time. Um, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Uh, last week we talked about how last week Jesus was in Jerusalem in chapter 3. We know he's in Jerusalem from the end of chapter 2. He meets with Nicodemus in chapter 3. Um, and he has the conversation that the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, is a part of. And then he goes out into the Judean highlands. We talked about last week. He was out in the countryside and his disciples are baptizing. John the Baptist, his cousin John, is up north um, baptizing. And there's a whole conversation where John points everybody to Jesus. Now in chapter 4 and verse 1, we get this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, or when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. Um, And he had to pass, in verse 4, through Samaria. Now, Samaria uh, is a region in the middle of what is today modern Israel, um, and it is just north of Jerusalem. It starts about it starts about 10, 15 miles north of Jerusalem. And what happened in Samaria was that in in in, uh, in 586, well, in 722 BC. I know you guys all love the dates, but in 722 BC, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into exile by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians took all the noble people, all the ruling class of that kingdom, and they carried them off into exile. And then they brought people from other parts of their empire in to settle into the land. 
most of the, the, the Israelites that could escaped south to the southern kingdom, which is based around Jerusalem. Now that southern kingdom got conquered by the Babylonians in, in 600, 603, 600, and then 586. There's a whole series of, of conquests. They destroyed the temple in 586 BC. And the ruling class of that kingdom got carried off to Babylon. And then 70 years later were able to return. Their descendants were able to return under the Persians. Y'all keeping track of this? Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians. All right. Um, and they return under the Persians and they're actually allowed to set up a Persian um, district or, or territory uh, that they call Yahud. Um, that's the word that we get the word Jew from. It's a transliteration of the word Judah. Uh, Judah in Hebrew is Yehuda, all right? And then it became Yehud in Persian, and then it became Judea in Latin, and then eventually became Jude. Jude became Jew, all right? So that's where the word Jew comes from. Um, it's, uh, it, it's got a long process of development. But they establish a Persian, Persian area, and there are Jewish um, you can actually call them Jews at this point. Um, there are Jewish governors who are overseeing that southern kingdom. And eventually there is a priest uh, named Ezra who comes to reinstitute the temple worship. Another guy named Nehemiah builds the temple. Both of them have books in the Bible. You can read about them. Um, but Nehemiah rebuilds the, temp- the walls of the temple. The temple is rebuilt. Um, then he rebuilds the walls. A guy named Zerubbabel actually rebuilds the temple, starts the project. And, um, and then... Uh, uh, and then they, Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. Then Ezra comes to reinstitute the religion. And there's a problem when Ezra shows up. All the people that have been living there now for a hundred some years, 200, 150, 200 years, have been intermarrying. And there's a whole group of people who claim to worship God um, that, that live around this area of Samaria who have their own temple at a place called Mount Gerizim. Um, and keep in mind, this is about 500 years before Jesus. We're not talking about Jesus' time now. And Ezra makes the call that anyone who worships anywhere than Jerusalem is not a part of our, um, of our thing. They have to go do their own thing. And, and he makes a, a, a lot, draws a line. Now, there's a lot more history to that. I'm oversimplifying it. And anytime you oversimplify something, um, it, it, you're, you're going to miss a lot of nuance. But that's basically what happens. Um, the Pharisees claimed that they were founded by Ezra. Okay, so this is the connection here. Uh, there's no proof of that, but they like to claim it. Um, and so they claimed that they were founded by Ezra. They're the, the pure, the pure people. Pharisee means the pure ones. And they're keeping the pure testimony of the gospel. And so they do, they look down on the Samaritans, the people who now live in this area, because they are half-breeds. They are mixtures. They are Canaanites. They are, they worship in the wrong place. They've got this long list of reasons that the Samaritans are not good enough to be a part of their thing. Now, the Samaritans, on the other hand, originally started, started as a group going, we want to be a part of your thing. We want to be a part of your thing. But you know what happens when you get told you can't be a part of somebody's thing for a while? You want to be part of the cool kids in high school, right? How many of you were a cool kid in high school? All right. A couple of you? All right. Um, most of us were not, all right? Some of us got picked on by the cool kids until we tied their shoelaces to their desk. Um, anyway, uh, but the, I never did that, 
You can't prove it. There's no footage. Um, anyway, the, the, uh, the cool kids, everybody wants to be a part of the cool kids. And when you can't be part of the cool kids, what do you generally do? You go and find a group of people that also aren't allowed to be part of the cool kids and you create your own group of cool kids. And you're the cool kids. And then ironically, you exclude the people you don't want in your group. Um, this is kind of human nature. This is what we do. It's tribalism. We can talk about it however it works. But the Samaritans then kind of rewrote their story. Uh, they figured out, figured out, in quotation marks, uh, they figured out that there were some problems with the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it, it had some issues with it. And they rewrote certain parts of it. Today we call it the Samaritan Pentateuch. They kind of rewrote certain parts of it to make them the primary group. That actually the Israelites who were living down in Judea, the, the, the Jews down in Jerusalem, they were actually the problem. They're, they're the ones that are the troublemakers, not us. You know? And again, they make a group of cool kids and they go, we're the cool kids, you're not the cool kids, right? So now, uh, now they, we're 500 years later. So 500 years of two groups of people going, we're the cool kids, they're the dumb kids. All right. Um, and, and I mean, the school has been aligned according to tribal lines. You know, you can only use these lockers if you're part of the jets and this, you know, no, anyway, um, now I'm wandering in, now I'm wandering into uh, West side story. Um, so, uh, but this is the heritage that's behind the division between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jews do not travel to Samaria. I mentioned last week that when they go to Jerusalem from Northern parts, from Galilee, which is where Jesus lives. Um, so think of Galilee as Maine, Right? Um, the distances are actually not too bad. Um, Galilee is basically like Portland, Maine, and uh, Jerusalem is Boston. That gives you an idea of the scale of what we're talking about, kind of north to south. Um, and uh, and so uh, they would actually go around, they would cross the river, go up the other side of the Jordan River so they didn't have to pass through Samaria. Well, Jesus is passing through Samaria, and he stops at a place that... Most of the time when we read this, we read it as being random, but Jesus never did random stuff. He already knew what he was doing. He passed through Samaria in verse, uh, verse 4, and so in verse 5, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Um, now the CH there in, uh, in Hebrew is actually that amazing ch. It's Sychar. Right, but, um, but he comes to Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his, uh, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting behind, beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus um, winds up at this spot. Now this is an interesting line. This this spot that Jacob gave to Joseph. If you actually go back, uh, what you find out is that Jacob had bought this well. Um, from the king of Shechem, which is a, was a Canaanite city. So now we're going way back. We're, we're, we're about uh, 17, 18, 1900 BC. He had bought this well. Um, and, and then uh, when, it, when you read that, that he had given that land to Joseph, what actually happened was that's where they buried Joseph's body. Um, when Joseph dies in Egypt and then during the Exodus, they take Joseph's body with them. They bury him in, in this area, this, this area of Sychar. Jesus picks that spot on purpose. He says to the guys, I'm pretty tired. I'm going to sit down here right about noon, right next to this well. And everybody goes, that's weird. But Jesus, and they go into town to get food. Verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Obvious question, since we've just talked about the context. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. John's best case of understatement in his whole book. Um, And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me and he would have given you living water. Now, let me just explain what he means there. Okay, this makes perfect sense to her because wells are basically big holes in the ground that water gets trapped in. And then you lower a bucket and you pull the water out of that there, the groundwater. When he says living water, he means water flowing from the, the imagery that he's doing is this is flowing water. So a well is stagnant water, even though it's coming from groundwater, it's it is technically flowing through. But he's talking about flowing water. He says, um, I would give you living water. And the woman said in verse 11, said to him, sir, or kirie in Greek, um, or the, they would say ravai, not rabbi, but rave in, in, um, in uh, Hebrew or, or Samaritan. Uh, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Now I've actually been to this well. Um, like everything in Israel, they built a church over it. That's what you do. It's in the basement. You're not allowed to take a picture. So naturally, I have a picture. Um, the, the, the tour guide was like, don't take pictures. I took my phone and went, and put it down. So I have a picture as well. Um, but, uh, but anyway, it, it, it is, it's tremendously deep. Now, it's been in continual use for thousands of years. And every time uh, a new, new, you know, it starts to run dry, you dig it deeper. You, you, send, you literally lower somebody down into the well with rope and you have them dig more until you get the, the thing. So it, it is still there. There's still water in it. If you pay them, they will give you some because um, that's the other thing that they do in Israel. They build a church on it, then they charge you for stuff. Um, and uh, so he, she says to him, well, this, this well is really deep. I have a bucket. You don't have a bucket or I have a vessel. You don't have a bucket. How are you going to possibly get water for me? You, you don't have any water for me. I don't understand what the question is, why you're, asking, why you're doing this. Um, where do you get that living water? And he says in verse 12, and this I think is the single most important thing that she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And notice the identification she makes. She identifies herself with Jacob. Um, Jacob's other name is what? Israel. All right, that's the name that Jacob gets from God. So Jacob, Israel, she says, so, so I, we, we have a divine inheritance from Jacob. He gave it to us. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She challenges his statement. Jesus said to her, and this is Jesus setting up a a test for her. He says, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Now I... I know the Bible says that Jesus, the, the Messiah had no... So no beauty that men that people would desire him, but I have to wonder if she's thinking of this as like Samaritan mingle here. 
So there's a very obvious single Jewish guy interested in talking to him. He showed up with a bunch of friends, so he must be pretty well off, right? And she's been through a few guys, and what's one more? She said, you're right to, to say, I have no husband. Or she says, I have no husband. She kind of leaves out the details. And Jesus says to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So what you've said to me is true. A woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, this is the second time in John's gospel that Jesus had said something that he could not have known. All right, so he he's he says something he could not have known unless he had some kind of knowledge, and she says, "I perceive that you're a prophet." Watch what she says again. Our fathers. So what did she say earlier about the well? Who gave them the well? Our father Jacob. Now she says, "Our fathers worshipped on this mountain." She's pointing at Mount Gerizim, which is to the east of Sychar. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now he didn't say that. But she assumes because he's a Jew. And Jesus said to him, woman, this is the second time he said that to a woman. Remember, this is not a disrespectful statement. It is an honor that he gives on her. He bestows her an honor she doesn't deserve. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now, look at what he did. Look at what he did. Jacob, our father, gave us this well. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Jesus says, the time is coming when you will not worship on on the mountain of Jerusalem, you will not worship the Father. He's changing directions. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell to us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, before we get to the rest of this story, I want to do something different today. This story, this narrative, is paired with the narrative of Nicodemus in the previous chapter. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a few minutes with your friends or your neighbors or your family, whoever's around you, whoever's willing to play with you, or do it by yourself if you so choose, but it's always more fun in community. I want you to take a minute and I want you to look at what Jesus, the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus in chapter 3, and the conversation that he has this with this woman at the well in chapter four and i want you to go ahead and make a list of all the things they have in common and all the things that you can find that are different now there's no right or wrong answers to this but i want to take a few minutes i want to give you about maybe 10 minutes i know in the middle of a sermon 10 minutes of silence what the um but what i want you to do is i want you to take some time have a conversation with the people around you find somebody who's willing to talk to you about bible stuff drag your children into it if you have to um but take about 10 minutes and look at these two passages and say what is the same and what is different so go ahead and do that and those of you that are online you're going to have to do it via instant messenger or facetime or something like that with each other 
Uh, you can, you can kind of have, it, those of you that are online, if you want to put it in the comments on, on YouTube, that'd be great. You can do that and we can have a conversation there. So let's take a few minutes and just do that and um, enjoy yourself. Good to see you. You don't have to be quiet. You guys can talk aloud. You're allowed to talk in church today. <laughs> You're by yourself. Go for some cool and aerial. Or just sit by yourself. Okay, we got about 30 seconds. Okay, so let's talk about what you found rather than what I found. I was working all week. I want to hear what you said. You found, all right? But let's let's talk about this. What are some similarities that you noticed? Um, and we could just kind of throw them out, you know. Um, just be aware of of cross talking. But what are some similarities you noticed between Nicodemus and the woman at the well? The conversation. All right, Jesus' identity. Yeah. 
Okay? All right? Somebody else? All right, teaching that God is spirit. Okay? Living water. Uh, water is a big image in both conversations. All right? So we're playing like Bible categories here. So if somebody else says something that you say, you can just scribble. You don't get points for that one. Um, but uh, uh, if you guys, how many of you know how to play categories? All right. Okay. All right. Just checking. Um, you have to list a bunch of stuff. And uh, all right. Other other similarities. Jed. Yep, they're both they're both dialogues of peers. They're not. They're, Jesus engages them where they are. He never takes a position of superiority until the very end on both cases, um, when he says who he is, and then everybody goes. Eh. All right, Ray. Okay. Yeah. He, Jesus is not being exclusive in either passage. He's not, he's not saying there's only a special group of people that get access to this. And when he says it, he then immediately says, that's what you think, but this is what really is going on. Heather? Yeah, they both start at kind of that earth level, and Jesus elevates the conversation. Those are great. What about some difference? Uh, Eric, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. He's taking them on a journey of evolving their thinking. He's changing their perception. Okay, Christy? Okay. Yeah, Pharisees, Pharisees don't believe in prophets, so he calls Jesus a rabbi. Samaritans do believe in prophets, so she calls him a prophet. So, um, yeah, there's definitely elements there. Okay. What about some differences? What are some differences? Jed. Samaritans were a lower class than Gentiles to Jews. They were you would rather stay in a Gentile's house than stay in a Samaritan's house, which by the way is the big deal behind the parable of the good Samaritan. All right. Um, Nicole, did you have something? Okay. Okay. There's a real big obvious difference. I'll throw I'll throw out in case you guys didn't see it. Nicodemus has a name. She doesn't. She doesn't. We never get her name. Which either tells us that John was not paying attention or there's intention there. What other differences do you notice? Kathy Yeah, pair that one with what Jed just said. Nicodemus is highest in the Jewish cult, and yet he comes at night. 
he meets, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day, right at noon, the sixth hour at noon. Dave? All right. A Samaritan woman at the end just goes, awesome, and goes and starts telling everybody about it. All right. Um, Nicodemus, we have no resolution of what happens with Nicodemus there. Jesus talks, and then it's just over. Right? And then since we have then the Pharisees being worried about Jesus at the beginning of chapter 4, we have to wonder what the response was when, G- when Nicodemus went back to the Pharisees and told them what he had had, the conversation with Jesus. All right? Any other? This is great. I wouldn't do this every week because you guys had just stopped showing up. And we're like, all right, he's, he's about to ask the question. Everybody go to the bathroom. All right? Um, but... Uh, all right, so so fantastic, and and this is this is super important that when we read a passage of scripture, we don't read it in isolation, right? As we as we read this passage, we can't just read the story of Nicodemus and then read the story of the Samaritan woman and go, well, they're not connected. John is connecting them. He connects them through the te- themes of spirit, water, and eternal life. If you read what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, it's actually the answer to Nicodemus' questions. So Jesus answers Nicodemus. He Remember we talked about Nicodemus? Jesus always kind of doesn't answer Nicodemus. Nicodemus asks him a question. Jesus says, this is how it is. You know, um, but with the Samaritan woman, he actually is talking about when Jesus says to Nicodemus, a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. And Nicodemus has a bunch of questions. Well, then when Jesus is talking to the woman at at the well, he says what the water is. The water is the eternal life that is given to those who believe in Jesus. The the, the spirit is given. He's drawing those images together. Um, I think the, the very cool thing about it is that Jesus concludes his conversation with Nicodemus. This all starts with Nicodemus saying... I know that you're a teacher from Israel, teacher from God because of the signs that you do. And then we go all the way through to the Samaritan woman saying, you must be the Messiah, and he says, I am. All right? So we have, we have this, these two conversations being connected with a bunch of stuff in between. John does that all the time. You have to always, when you're reading John, start writing down the things that Jesus says because it will come up later and it will explain what he said in the previous passage. So much confusion comes about the Gospel of John because people don't do that. Um, because it's all connected. He's connecting everything together. Uh, very quick, I'll just give you my list. Uh, Nicodemus is named. Um, the woman is not. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. She's a Sag- Samaritan. We all mentioned that. Um, Nicodemus is a teacher, which means as a teacher of the Jews, he is a monogamous uh, husband who has never committed any form of infidelity or looked at another woman to lust. He has maintained his ritual Torah purity. This woman has done the exact opposite. She's been married five times. She's living with some guy. All right. Um, Nicodemus calls him rabbi. The woman calls him uh, lord or sir. All right. Nicodemus comes at night. The woman comes at noon. Uh, Nicodemus says, are you, the, are you from God? The woman simply accepts that he is. John 
always likes to alternate the, intri- the, the episodes of Jesus' conversations with different classes of people to get exactly to the point that Ray said, that this is not a message, the gospel is not a message to one group of people. You can call them whatever you want. Call them the Pharisees, call them the Jews, call them the chosen, call them the elect. The message is for everybody. Now, not everybody will receive it, but the message is given to everyone. Um, And when we read this, we see what Jesus is doing. Now, I want to just get to the conclusion because like, um, who was it that said she believed and Nicodemus didn't? Uh, Dave, right? Was that you? Look at what she does, all right? Just then, so Jesus, the disciples are always missing Jesus saying the best stuff. So just then the disciples come back in verse 27. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. They ignore her because they're good Jews and she's a Samaritan. She walks off and they're kind of like, what was this woman doing talking to you, Jesus? Um, And so the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Do you remember the other person that said, come and see? It happens in chapter one, Jesus, come and see, come and see, come and see. And Jesus actually says it to the disciples in chapter one, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She's not saying, she's not, by the way, asking them, could you come and verify that he's the Christ for me? She's saying, you've got to meet this guy. I think he is the Messiah. They went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have no food to eat that you do not know about. Now, I personally think that Jesus doesn't want to be caught with these Samaritans with his mouth full. So... Um, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They are so oblivious. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? We know that this is happening in the late spring, um, because he's left from Passover. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He is saying to them, you're missing what God is doing to these people who matter to him because of your Jewishness. Now that's not being Jew as a bad, but because of what they believed, they're ignoring the Samaritans. They're walking through with their their blinders on, trying to get through Samaria as quick as they can. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Remember, you know anybody else who quotes that verse? The Apostle Paul, one waters, one sows, and one one harvests and reaps in in 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul seemed to have known some of the things that Jesus said, uh, a lot of the things that Jesus said. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that's the word that gets used over and over in john martyria there his her witness her testimony her legal uh testimony he told me all that i ever did so they start their belief there so when the samaritans came to him they asked him to stay with him and he stayed there two days now what's jesus been doing all along the way in the book of john he comes he comes to the 
Comes to John, is baptizing. The disciples ask where he's going. He goes to the place he's staying. He doesn't stay with them. They have to stay with him. Then when he makes, he makes water into wine in the marriage supper of Cana, Jesus leaves. When Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's preaching, he doesn't give himself over to the people. He goes out into the Judean highlands. But when the Samaritans ask him to stay, Jesus stays. Isn't that interesting? And many more believed because of his word. And then they said to the woman, and look at the shift that takes place. And there's a whole sermon that could be preached out of this. Look at the shift that takes place between the moment when she says, look in verse, in verse, uh, verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what? Because of the woman's testimony. And then down in verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Remember when I started and I said the second generation of believers grew up in the church? Some of them were just thinking they were Christians because they were in the church. They were doing the churchy thing. And this is the challenge to them. It's not about the testimony, somebody else's testimony. You have to meet Jesus yourself. You have to know him yourself. And after the two days he departed for Galilee, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. Isn't it extraordinary that the Galileans have no idea what he did in Samaria? They skip right back to Jerusalem. Right? For they too had gone to the feast. So here's, my, here's three different big ideas that you can take home. Hopefully one of them works. I know, I only ever have one, but I have three. Because I didn't want to preach three sermons out of the same passage because it took like two months to get through chapter one. Here we go. Big idea, What number one. What begins with the Jews goes to the Samaritans. What starts with the church goes to the world. What, start, what God starts with you is always for others. It's not just for you to be happy and comfortable with your own faith. It's meant to transform the lives around you. What begins with the Jews goes to Samaria. Number two, for Jesus, Jerusalem was not somewhere he ran to. It was a point he worked out from. Our faith, we talk about church, and sometimes we think of church as safe a safe haven, a fortress, a place we can escape the world. We get in the world, we feel comfortable, we're surrounded by other church Christians, um, there's less swearing here, there's, you know, all of those, not, not, no swearing, but less, right? We're, we're safe, we're safe in this, in this safe haven, it's our, it's our, our safe place. And I would argue that we are actually not called to be drawn into the church, but rather called out, called to spread out from the church and work um, as the people of God. Jerusalem is not a place we run to, but a point to where we work out from. Here's my third big point. This is probably the one I would have stuck with if the other two hadn't come up. Sometimes everyone misses what Jesus is doing. Everyone in the conversation, the Jews don't care about the Samaritans, the disciples Look beyond this woman. Everyone misses what Jesus sees. And that's why we have to trust his grace rather than our abilities. 
Jesus knew what he was about when he said, hey guys, let's go out into the hill country of Judea instead of let's cross the Jordan River and go home. He was headed to Sychar to meet a woman that most of us would look down upon with complete disdain because of her past to change her life, make her a vessel of the gospel, and then transform an entire town of undesirables into disciples. Sometimes everyone misses what Jesus is doing. So let's trust that he knows what he's doing, the grace that he has expressed and manifest in the situations that we're in for his greatness, glory, and the message of his word. Now you can take any one of those three and you can apply it. You can even steal them and preach them yourself if you want. I didn't copyright them. But I want to invite you to, as we consider maybe the Samaritan woman in our life, the person maybe that we're, we're thinking, I don't know whether Jesus could ever use that person. I don't know if grace could ever extend to that person. Or maybe you're that person. You're sitting there saying, I don't think the, Jesus couldn't use me. Jesus doesn't want me. Jesus isn't bound by your standards of what he wants either. And like Ray said, this is a universal call to follow Jesus. There is nobody so low, so lost, so dark, that grace can't touch them and transform them and make them followers of Christ. We're going we're gonna to receive the Lord's table in a moment. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Just as we thank the Lord for his word. Heavenly Father, as we have come to your word and seen Jesus touch the life of someone that, if we're honest, most of us would have had problem even seeing. We would have looked past her. We would have missed her because she isn't of our class. She isn't of our, our way. She, isn't, she doesn't